welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 140 for Saturday the 16th of February 2019. And coming up in today's diary, I'm back on Book Funnel and Book Sweeps, building up my list of subscribers. The first of my new style blog posts was published this week, all created with the help of my readers, and how I simplified my systems this week by republishing some old paperbacks. First, though, as you know, if you listened to last week's diary, uh, I've been in Scotland this week for a funeral. So Thursday and Friday would normally be writing days. We're just back from Scotland in the last half hour while I'm recording this. So I haven't had two days writing that I normally would have done. In terms of word count, then, on Sunday, the 10th of February, I got 5,019 words written. And I'm going to be writing another 5,000 words on Sunday, the 17th of February. So I will be up to 20,000 words of book two by the end of Sunday. And then from next week, I'm back to my 15,000, 20,000 words a week word count. And this book is on schedule to be finished by the 3rd of March, or in just a couple of weeks' time. So we've had two weeks of of disrupted writing and routine, uh, but we're back to normal as from next week. As far as uh, general news is concerned, I forgot to tell you last week, I just wanted to mention this, because I had told you that I'd done it. The, the new process or system or feature, whatever you want to call it on draft or digital, where you can automate price changes, where you can set a date and say, oh, I want it to drop to 99 pence during a week. And then I want it to automatically go back to normal price. I tried that for my bargain booksy promo. And I think with all of these things, you need to build up the trust. So the, the one I absolutely trust is when you're in KDP select and you, you schedule it for a, a price sale or a freebie, it always gets it right. And in many respects, Draft the Digital has just introduced its own version of that. Um, so I used it for the Bargain Booksy promo, and it worked fine. It uh, just did the price downwards when it needed to, and it put the price back up automatically. So I just wanted to let you know that I tested that, and it all worked absolutely fine. And then also a little update for you. I was talking about lock screen ads on Amazon adverts uh, for the past couple of weeks. And lock screen ads are something that I'm uh, predisposed to like in that it's good interruption marketing. You get it when you switch on your, your Kindle or whatever devices it displays on. And, 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 and therefore it, it's right in your face. So from a marketing point of view, I'm predisposed to like that. However, I was explaining to you that however much I was spending, I, I, I couldn't really make any return on investment on the lock screen ads. I was getting clicks, but I was losing money. So having listened to, um, Brian, Cohen's new podcast, which I do highly recommend to you if you are trying to get Amazon ads to work. Basically, the premise of, of Brian's podcast is to, well, to try and crack Amazon ads, to try and have a 10,000k month just working through all the bits and pieces on Amazon ads. Now, I could never remember the name of this blasted podcast that uh, Brian has created. So I've got my phone up this week. Where is it? It's called Relentless Authors Advertising relentless authors advertising so well worth looking out for that and following brian's experiments now what i did last week based on what brian had recommended because he was having the same problems with lock screen ads uh, is to put a very high spend on i haven't quite dared go as high as brian recommended i think he was saying put a five thousand dollar per day uh, budget on it um, I think I'm up to about 3000 a day. You never spend that but if Amazon ever did spend that money there'd be a lot of authors going bust very quickly it doesn't spend that amount, but what it does is by putting a high spend on it, it forces Amazon to try and get rid of your cash. So I think I've put, I think I'm up to about 3000. I, I have to sort of let the rope out bit by bit when I'm putting those budgets on because it feels crazy. And I tell you, the other thing I do is I check them every day when I've got those high budgets or just in case it, it starts to run away. Um, but you put a very high spend on it. So I'm at 3000 at the moment. Brian was saying five or 6000. Um, you put a very tight date on it. So my adverts are on, they're set to the end of February, 28th of February, and you put a very low bid price. Now at the moment, my bid price is way too low. I think Brian's put about 20 to 30 cents on his. Mine are really, really, really low. So they're below 10 cents at the moment, only because I'm tight and I'm trying to squeeze out the lowest possible click rate that I can. 
So over the weekend, I need to put my bid price up probably to over 10 cents, but my tight date will re remain the 28th of February. And my high spend, I'll probably move up to about $5,000. So really what you're trying to do in doing that is you're, you're just trying to force Amazon to spend your money at the lowest price per click that you can possibly get some activity on. And at the moment, I've started really low and I'm just trying to edge it up bit by bit to see how low I could go to get Amazon spending my money. But you always want the lowest bid price that you can get away with. Um, but, but obviously, if you go too low, you're not going to get any activity and therefore it's pointless. You, you're always looking for that sweet spot between activity and spend. So I shall be continuing with the lock screen ads this week, uh, but I, I just need to probably up my bid price a little bit just to try get things uh, going. The other thing I just wanted to mention too is I've got BookBub ads running at the moment and I've used, um, what's it called? BookBrush. Yeah, BookBrush, which is this new software I keep telling you about. Uh, if you go to the resources page, I've now got an affiliate link because the uh, the chap who runs BookBrush has been asking me for my feedback. And I said, well, I, I love it, actually. I've got very well with it. And as I said to you last week, it's a cross between Canva. Well, it's, sorry, it's Canva for authors. So you still need Canva. Canva has its own set of jobs that you do in Canva, but BookBrush specifically caters for the needs of authors. So I've made two sets of ads now. I've got ads running on the secret banker, on, uh, secret banker, the secret bunker uh, on a BookBub. And I've got don't tell Meg ads running as well. And I'm just finding BookBrush so easy to make bespoke adverts. Now, just to distill the strategy here for you, uh, because this is like a pincer movement on several strategies. I have consumed Adam Croft's videos on um, on BookBub ads. Ad Adam seems to be the lead here. He's, he's the guy who seems to know most about this. And I've got Adam's course on BookBub ads as part of Mark Dawson's. I, I can't even remember what I bought so many years ago, but that ad is bundled into my, my package. So I've got Adam's presentations on BookBub ads in there. And I've gone through those. One of the things Adam says is to create bespoke BookBub adverts. And up until I discovered BookBrush, I hadn't done that. I'd just been using the standardized adverts that, that BookBub creates for you. They look nice, but I wanted to follow Adam's advice and put bespoke adverts on. And with BookBrush now, it makes that really, really easy to do good looking adverts on BookBub. So um, Don't Tell Meg I'm running at the moment because I've got a BookBub coming up on Don't Tell Meg. And who was it who told me? I can't remember who it was now. I was listening. I think it was, no, it wasn't Kirsten Oliphant. Who was it? Can't remember. I was listening to somebody's podcast. And the I think that the thinking now is that before you have a BookBub, if you try and run some traffic to it beforehand to bump the sales, then Amazon doesn't see this sort of massive spike. It sees the increase in sales that you get around a BookBub promo. It sees that as um, organic, if you want, rather than artificial. So um, I'm probably a little bit late to get organized with that, but I am just trying to run a little bit more activity over Don't Tell Meg before the BookBub, if I can. And the secret bunker, I've already told you that my strategy with having BookBub ads on there is that on Saturday, which is tomorrow as I record this, I'm going to be submitting um, the secret bunker trilogy again, to BookBub for a, a big sort of email promo, one of the expensive ones. I haven't got Don't Tell Meg through yet. And I just wanted to test this idea that if I was doing BookBub ads, if I was paying for my own book to advertise it, whether that might just act in my favor when I submit it to BookBub. So I'll let you know next week how I got on, but I'm submitting the uh, Secret Bunker trilogy once again to BookBub on Saturday. That's my submission date. Uh, I'm just going to lean over here because um, I've got props, which are no good because I only do this on audio, but um, it allows me to look at them and to talk you through them. Um, I think I've, I've already mentioned this to you that I have I've republished the grid. I had um, somebody let me know about a, I think it was a missing word in the text. And I had, so I, I went in to change that. And it, <clears throat> unfortunately, if you have to change something in your books, then you've got paperbacks. It usually opens a whole can of worms. And I, I can't remember, I, I think any time I'd updated the grid, because I have updated it since it was first published in paperback, I think I must have done it with the original Word file. I must have changed the Word file, but I've moved it into Vellum now. And when I moved it into Vellum, the page count had changed. And so therefore, the original covers that I'd paid for about three years ago, where I'd got the Kindle cover, 
and I'd got the paperback covers. The, I was having all sorts of troubles with the spine, aligning the spines. So what I've decided to do, and I, and I do this with all of my paperbacks now, uh, except I've got the Secret Bunker now have proper paperback covers as per the design. And I may even have to knock those out because um, I've just I've rewritten the Secret Bunker. As you know, it's been re-edited. And I'm just waiting for the files to come back uh, edited for that. And, and I'm, that may screw up the, the original files I had for the Secret Bunker. If that's the case, I will do the same with the Secret Bunker that I'm just about to tell you about with the grid. But also the Don't Tell Meg trilogy also has its own covers because that's such a recent book. Um, I've, so I've got uh, the sort of bespoke covers that I use for the ebooks for that, that I got from Stuart Beige. But I also, when I got those covers done, got paperback size, proper spine sizes done for the paperbacks. So they are also with, I've also got posh paperbacks for Don't Tell Meg. But with the grid, what I did this weekend, I think I did it at the weekend, is um, I did my kind of cheapo covers. And I say cheapo, but it, they always look great when they come through, is when I put the, I, I, I use the Amazon cover creator and I put the, I think it's the first one in actually. It's the first one top left when you go into Amazon Cover Creator, where effectively you put your, your ebook cover on the front. And then what I do, um, the spine automatically adjusts, but you have to colorize the, the rest of the book. And what I do is I pick the color that is most close to the cover of the book. Now I've got the grid three here, catharsis, and you honestly cannot tell the difference. The, the, the main block color at the top of the book is exactly the same. I've managed to pick exactly the same color um, for the spine and the back cover. Now with the grid two, again, you can't see the difference with the main color. And on the grid one, you can probably see slightly more of a difference there, but there really isn't very much difference. And, and why I'm telling you this is that, you know, I've spent so much time messing around with paperbacks only to sell a handful of them. I really only provide paperbacks as a service to people who prefer paperbacks. So I've never really... Uh, if my books were more uh, successful and I was selling more of them, I might have a better strategy for paperbacks. But really, I'm only putting them in paperback as a service to readers uh, to acknowledge that some people prefer to read paperbacks. So it makes sense, really, from a business point of view and observing the 80-20 rule, where you get 80% of your results uh, of, from 20% of the effort. And in that case, that's ebooks for me. I get 20% of the effort to create an ebook, I get 80% of my results from that. Whereas with paperbacks, I get kind of 20% of my results um, from 80% of effort. There's a heck of a lot more effort to put into a paperback. Yet you, you make, you know, most authors make so few sales from it. So from a business point of view, from an ROI, from a time management point of view, it makes much, much more sense to produce paperbacks like this. And I got my proofs today. When we got back from Scotland, they were sitting on the doorstep. And so the, the interior has been produced in vellum. The paperback covers have been produced in Kindle Cover Creator. And obviously, I've paid for proper graphics on the front. And you, you really, there's no not enough difference. There's not enough in it from the proper covers I had to say, I'm you know, I would pay now to get the proper covers redone with the proper spine size there's just not enough in it for me for the number of paperbacks i do so i'm i'm going to sell these grids these are perfectly all right for sale no one i don't think anybody would particularly question um, the look and feel of those and um you know that's going to save me an awful lot of time but what it but what it also means is if i have my files in vellum and i have my paperbacks in a format where it doesn't matter what the spine width is um, it just makes my business so much more dynamic because if somebody does spot a spelling mistake or if there is a problem, a formatting error, anything like that, I can put it right straight away. The spine, if there is a spine width change, just adjusts automatically in Kindle Cover Creator and I can very quickly get that paperback uh, updated and back on the market. Whereas if I'm messing around with formal covers and things like that, now you know, it, it really doesn't warrant the effort. But as I say, there is a proviso with this. If you're in a situation where selling paperbacks is important to you, if you are in an environment where you can sell lots of paperbacks, clearly that makes no sense to you at all. You, you need to be, um, you know, putting all the effort that you can into your paperback covers. But for me, that suits me absolutely fine. Most most indie authors find that they sell more ebooks. That's where the, most of their income comes from. I would say that probably 90 to 95% of my income comes from ebooks. That's where I need to be putting all the effort. I do acknowledge that people like paperbacks. So I, I, I do them fast and cheaply. If I could do them in vellum and do them this way. And to me, that makes every business sense uh, to me. So that's, that's what I'm going to be doing now. Again, with the secret bunker, 
I sell, I have an out, I have an outlet for those in the secret bunker shop. So it makes all the sense in the world to me to sort of super produce those paperbacks because I want those to look as good as they can in the shop. So I do want the best covers I can possibly put on those books in the secret bunker. And that's what I was saying to you that there are exceptions to that rule. If you, if you do have an outlet for your paperbacks, a proper outlet for your paperbacks, then you need to put sort of more effort into those. So the secret bunker will continue to get those posh covers, that effort. Uh, don't tell Meg will continue to get the posh covers until they all mess up and i you know i i have to say right it's either going to cost me a couple hundred quid to get these spines done or i'm just going to do simple covers in uh cover creator um but i just thought i'd mention that because the, these just arrived in the post when i got back and I'm, I'm just very happy with them for me they are a very fast dynamic way to get paperbacks out there um, for all i ever sell of paperbacks something's just fallen Did you, i don't know whether you heard that on the microphone but something has just fallen off my off my wall i can't see what it is can't have been that important it's now behind the desk so i, I have to go and hunt for that after i've recorded the podcast and um, i've been back to building my list again this week and the reason that i'm doing this is because you know uh, from previous diaries that i'm i'm looking at rapid releases this year so i've got a rapid release of sci-fi books coming out and um i'll talk to you a little bit more about this collaboration that's coming up shortly um but but my my kind of target date for that is is currently about Julyish time, and I've got my thrillers rapid releasing Septemberish time. So it makes sense to uh, help that rapid release to to build my list in, in sci-fi and, and thrillers, so that when we do it, I I can start to to get the kind of Amazon and algorithms going by emailing my list. If I've got a couple of thousand uh, sci-fi fans and a couple of thousand thriller fans on my list that we could start to to get the algorithm going it goes back to what i was saying about i couldn't remember whose podcast it was that the, the feeling is now that um you know it's best not to have that huge book bub spike you're better trying to just get a little bit of traffic around it first so that to amazon it feels like a gradual build rather than a big spike and that's why i'm building my list again so i'm going to try and get you know th- at least three thousand sci-fis and at least three thousand um subscribers in crime and thrillers uh, before i do these uh, promos just so i've got a decent sized and hopefully engaged list to to send each of the weekly release offers to to get some traffic over them so i've what i decided to do is i was looking at the book funnel promos and then i thought hang on i, I did my own before christmas and that worked very well so on a whim this week in, in the evenings i um actually have listed now a sci-fi promo on book funnel and a thriller promo on book funnel this is mine it's one of my promos i'm not taking sorry i'm taking part in it because it's my promo but i'm not it's not i'm not joining somebody else's the, the other reason that i wanted to uh, do this one of the things that i don't like doing um because i had experience of this in, in internet marketing we used to do authors call them newsletter swaps we used to call them uh, J, jv list swaps when i was in internet marketing but they're the same thing and basically when i was an internet marketer um, I used to have some sort of free product that I, I would I would use as to get people into my email list, and somebody else would have some piece of junk, whatever it was, you know, internet marketing software or whatever it was, and we would both send to each other's list. Um, and I, what I found is that um, you know it, it made your, the, the lists got fed up with receiving stuff they didn't want to receive. And it made your list less responsive. You got a lot of unsubscribes. And and I, I although I haven't tried uh, an email, uh, sort of an author, I beg your pardon, kind of cross list promotion, I, I I'm very reticent to do that because it's like um, you know I, I I want to treat my list like they've come specifically for me or my genre, and I get the kind of principle of saying well if you like my stuff you might like this person's stuff, but it. Um, you know, it obliges me to read the books and, you know, I don't, I, to be honest with you, you know, I don't have an awful lot of time to read. I read what I can in between writing the blasted things. Um, I don't want to write, I don't have to read every book that I'm promoting. So I'm not going to do it basically because if you promote a duffer or you promote something that's not kind of on message on your kind of genre or your, what your readers like, um, you're just going to get a load of unsubscribes. So I'm trying to keep my, my kind of emails that I do more focused and about me to build that one-to-one rapport with readers. And that's been working very well for me. So I don't really want to peddle other people's books. Um, so I don't want to do list swaps. And what I decided to do is that when I can control the dates of the book funnel um, promos, 
I've done it so that the the dates that the promo is live falls over when I I email my list monthly. So I don't have to send um, a specific email out to say, hey, I'm in a giveaway, click here. I could just promote the giveaways as part of my monthly email. So what all I'll do is I'll do a little uh, probably row of three things below. I think I'm in a book sweeps giveaway and I've got my two book funnels giveaway. And I say, you know, if you like science fiction, click here. If you like crime, click here. And if you want to grab my books for free, you can get them here. And so that will be in the context of one of my regular monthly emails when I'm talking about all sorts of stuff rather than me having then to send out an individual email saying hey sign up you know free stuff because I'm, I'm trying to when I email my list I'm trying to build this relationship I'm trying to train them into when they get an email from me it'll be worth opening there'll be something in there worth reading rather than me flogging something so that's my strategy with that so with these um book funnel promos um I've got a crime and a, and a sci-fi one both are running from the 22nd of February to the 1st of March, which means they'll catch my monthly email to my subscribers, which comes out the last Sunday of every month. So the last Sunday of February is the is the 24th of February, and the giveaway finishes on the 1st of March. So when I send it out to my list, they'll get a couple of days to, to access the books, which is a, you know, a lovely timescale. That's why I've timed it that way. But also, as I say, I'm also in one of these book sweeps giveaways too. And those book sweeps giveaway have um, an e-reader as a prize. So that's quite a strong thing to to put on the headline, your chance to win an e-reader. That's a very, you know, and, and also get one of my books for free. So that sort of feels like a nice fit for me. Um, so, um, so far, with the crime, and I only listed this, I think, on Monday or Tuesday, I've had 36 submissions, and I'm only accepting 30 submissions, so I'm going to have to weed out the weakest six there. Uh, the sci-fi is always a bit slower. So far, I've had 16 submissions for 30 places. So if you are a sci-fi writer, you write dystopian, um, I don't mean sort of lightweight, lovey-dovey kind of sci-fi. You know, I've banned all the six-pack hunks and all that nonsense. Uh, but if you write proper sci-fi with spaceships and laser battles and you know aliens and just proper sci-fi uh, not lightweight sci-fi um then um please do get listed uh, you'll find me on book funnel and it closes i think i'm closed for submissions on thursday so I, I might have to do a little bit of drumming up some support for that sci-fi one because i need another 14 submissions and um as i say i am weeding out weak ones as well so the sci-fi one might 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 not make it past the post we'll have to see about that one but the crime one is definitely going on um, I just wanted to mention that um, you know that when I set my objectives for this year, I talked about obviously the writing objectives, but I did mention that I would be doing park runs and I did mention that I got kind of weight loss objectives. I just wanted to let you know that I, I'm not going to talk about the park runs every week, only really the kind of the, if I hit the big targets. But if you are interested in following that progress, I've created a page for my weekly time, not my weekly because I'm not doing it weekly, but my timings um, at the self-publishing journeys um, website. So if you go to selfpublishingjourneys.com forward slash parkrun, or you'll also find it in the about section. I've just, I've, I'm putting my, every time I do a run, you could monitor my times there. And if there's a, you know, photo or whatever, it's going on that page. Um, so if you are interested in that, that's where you need to check up on it. Um, but I won't be mentioning it other than the big kind of headlines. Um, but I thought as I had mentioned it as an objective, I would put it somewhere where people can see that in public and actually it's a nice little record for me because I've put all my uh, basically when you do a run they give you a they send you an email and show you your time and, and you're on a web page and it's uh, quite nice for me because I've started to just put the the links to each week's or each event's results on there and uh, so it gives me a nice record too uh, which is primarily why I've done it but I thought I'd share that anyway if you're interested in following that and I've just followed, uh, I beg your pardon, I've just published my um, first blog post, which was made up from reader replies. Now, you'll know these monthly emails I'm sending out to readers. One of the things I found fantastic is when I asked them a question about writing. And so far, I've asked them questions about um, US and UK English, um, whether they like cliffhanger endings or not in books. I've asked them about violence in books as well. Uh, and I've also asked them about humour. Well, this week, I took a selection of the replies about violence in books and I've turned those into a blog post and I've shared that on social media it's at paulteague.com and the direct link to it will be on this week's show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com um, but it, I, I did say to you that I wanted to stop doing how-to stuff 
And actually, I was listening to the, I still call it the self-publishing podcast, but it's the Story Studio podcast now. And I know that the guys, Johnny, Dave, and Sean, I know that they moved into kind of how-to education, and they're moving right out of it in April. They're just going to story and to writing and, and one podcast, having sort of proliferated everything. They're just cussing it right back to basics. So it's just about the writing, and they'll have one podcast, which they do, which uh, which is interesting. I was listening to it uh, this morning and thinking, well, that's pretty well what I've done, actually. I've just stopped all the how-to stuff um, entirely, and it's just about the writing now. And why this blog post is significant, number one, it's because um, you'll see the great replies I've had from readers, you know, really, really good replies, not just one word, uh, responses but people writing proper replies thoughtful replies to a question and to me and, and I haven't put all the replies either you look at the number of replies I've got from people responding to my emails you know that's just what you want from an engaged reader list you want people to be having conversations with you and everybody who responds to me I send them an email personal email back thanking them for getting in touch so um you know if you want to get a sense of the kind of responses and how well that's working the the quality of responses I'm getting just head for selfpublishingjourneys.com look for the show notes for episode 140 and I'll put the link to that blog post so that you can find it easily or if you just go to paulteague.com that's where I'm going to be publishing that content from now on um but you know it's blog content that I can publish and share but it's not how to it's not me teaching how to do something it's it's actually just talking about the book so it's quite a a change for me I've got this book sweeps promo for sci-fi starting on Monday the 18th it's the first time I've tried book sweeps and the crime and thrillers event has finished now and I got my leads from that event the uh, yesterday they came in the emails so I got a 606 leads from that event which is pretty good I would say in a week um, and those are all kind of GDPR friendly leads. All those people were specifically asked if they wanted to sign up to my list, not anybody's list. So I'd say that was a pretty good conversion rate post GDPR. Um, you know, I, I bet, I bet before GDPR, you've got huge lists, but I'm very happy with 606 leads from a single event. And uh, we'll see what I get from the sci-fi. Um, and then also, of course, I've got the book funnel promos running as well. Uh, but I, that, that feels good to me. 606 targeted leads uh, to add to my thrillers list from a single event. Now, I can't remember what you pay for a book sweeps. It's not a fortune. Um, I, I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, maybe $60, $70, something like that. Uh, but I'm happy for that, for 606 specifically targeted leads who signed up to my list, not just general authors lists. It feels like a pretty good thing to do. I'll let you know uh, what the results are from the sci-fi one when I do. I always expect the sci-fi to be slightly lower, uh, but a pretty good result, I would say. And they're all going to get um, imported into MailerLite this evening. Um, I just wanted to mention, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago that when I was in Spain, I'd shot some you know, fairly ropey, poor videos outside some of the locations in my in my book, uh, Who to Trust, which is set in Benidorm. They're just, you know, they're just simple things. Me and a phone saying, here's the location for such and such a thing. Uh, they're not professionally shot or anything like that. I just wanted to let you know, though, that there's one of those videos in the, it must only be three weeks or four weeks at the most. One of those videos has had 1,200 views and climbing very rapidly. Um, which is the most views I've ever had. Now, I could only assume that video is shot outside a place called Morgan Tavern. And Morgan Tavern is where scenes are set in the UK TV series, Benidorm. So I can only assume it's because it's keyworded and people are spot looking for Benidorm and Morgan Tavern to check it out. And I'm kind of getting the traffic from that. Now, um, let me tell you that it's had a lot of views, but it hasn't had particularly many likes or dislikes. And I'm not seeing any traffic going through to the, what is it, books to read link that I've got on there as well. So it's not equating to any book sales or any particular activity but it does seem phenomenal it, it is for me for somebody who usually puts youtube videos up they they die a death uh, 1.2 thousand views in in a couple of weeks is quite phenomenal now I'll, I'll have to make a decision about this because if if the the expectation of people looking at the video is that they're going to see something that's all about benedorm the tv series and they're not getting that then that that won't reflect br- brilliantly on me well, I, i'll just wait to see whether all that traffic's resulting in any increased sales from that video if it's not i might de-keyword it from morgan tavern because i don't want to get a load of people expecting to see the tv series then see my dodgy video when i'm talking through a book 
book. Um, but as I say, 1.2,000 views, you can't knock that, can you? But I suspect it's that keyword that's doing it. I was uh, back at work Monday to Wednesday this week, but I went on a, a, a work-based course um, on Wednesday. So I was out the office doing a Google, an advanced Google Analytics course this week. And uh, it actually, I needed it for what I'm doing at work. And what I'm doing at work is actually exactly what I'm doing in my own business, which is I've been trying to sell books through Google Ads, as you know. And I, I kind of drawn a bit of a blank with it. I, I'd reached a, a dead end with it. And uh, as I have in my day job as well, and this course came up, um, and and I know these guys. They they run an agency in Lancashire, and they, they I know they have a lot of big kind of clients for Google. And so I I actually like to go to them to learn to to develop personally because they're doing stuff that I you know I'm just a solo entrepreneur. I don't ever do stuff at scale with big budgets, and they're a really good group of people for me to learn from because they do do it at scale and with big budgets. So I was really keen to attend this workshop on Wednesday. And it was really good, actually. And, and um, I learned a lot of Google Analytics tricks, which I didn't know. It also confirmed that what I do know is right. So I you know, I am doing stuff right. There's no kind of magic in there. Um, but I did learn about three tricks, which I didn't know. And clearly, this is the benefit of going to training. You only need to take one thing away, and it could kind of change your life. But yeah, I've got three good Google Analytics tricks, which I'm going to implement, obviously, in my day job, and obviously, in my own work. Um, but the the key trick I learned was how to track the the clicks that I'm getting properly on my landing page. So when I do AdSense, I told you that I can get loads of traffic to my page, but I can't track what people are doing or where they're clicking. And what I learned from that course is how to track that correctly and measure it. So when I've set that up, it's a little bit of geek. It's a specific kind of code, an on-click code that you have to do. When I've implemented that and figured it out, um, I will, um, I'll start running the ads again and then see if we can get this tracking sorted out. The other thing I learned actually, and this is something that completely passed me by. I'm usually quite immersed in this stuff and it had missed me completely, but Google now is penalizing you. You'll, you'll all know that you've got to be mobile friendly, responsive websites. And you'll all know by now, hopefully that you need to have an HTTPS, uh, an SSL certificate on your website. Well, this is something that passed me by completely, but really a, a really big deal now with analytics is page load speed. Now I've always known this. I've always known that page speed is important. We, in the days of, of dial up when I worked at the BBC and was making websites in 2001, we actually had to save our images to a size that they would download fast on dial-up because we were the BBC and people pay a license fee to access the content. We had to work to the lowest common denominator, which was which was dial-up, which was quite frustrating so that our images would download in certain times. So this has always been on my radar. I know that it's important. But what I hadn't realized until I'd done this course is just how big a deal it is uh, from a search engine optimization point of view and that Google will penalize you now if your site is loading slowly. And um, the thing that I didn't know, this I don't really know why this has completely passed me by, but it has. But apparently there are three file formats now for images that, that Google prefers. And they load, they're compressed better, and they load much faster. Now, most of us know that we could use GIFs or GIFs, whatever you call them, PNG files and JPEGs. And indeed, if you go on to anything like Canva, um, my, I use an old Photoshop version. So presumably these, these file types are available in, in new Photoshop, but I, I've been using an old Photoshop elements for years because my skills are so dodgy. It allows me to do what I need. I don't need a modern one, but there are these three file formats now that Google much prefers because they load faster. And of course, none of them, none of us virtually have those on our site. I didn't know this at all. So, um, that made me go, I, I I did that on Wednesday. And on Wednesday evening, obviously, we were away on Thursday and Friday in Scotland. But uh, on Wednesday evening, I did make some basic changes. Now, I, I host all my websites with SiteGround. And SiteGround um, used to be quite cheap. They've bumped the prices up recently. Uh, and, and they're a bit more kind of painful than, than they were. So I, I, I had all my sites spread over two SiteGround accounts. And they're about now, they used to be about 100 and something, but they've gone up to over 200 and something. So I was looking at about 450 for my site. So I thought, I can't be doing that. That's too much for the traffic the sites get. So I've harmonized my sites recently, uh, ditched a few. Um, one of my kids who was on my hosting, I said, you'll have to pay for that yourself. Now I need space. So, uh, you know, so booted off a few, ditched a few. And so I've just got, um, I've got about nine, eight or nine sites on one site ground. 
pound account. I could just about get away with that. Um, but it made me investigate a lot of things that SiteGround gives me that I, I had been resisting. I had just hadn't really implemented. And SiteGround hosting is brilliant. It gives you access to Cloudflare, which is something called a CDN. And I've, I've forgotten what CDN stands for. Off the top of my head, it's Content Delivery Network. No, that's nonsense. Cloud Delivery Network. It's, I can't remember what it stands for. Now I used to know what it was. Uh, it's fast. It makes a site fast, basically. Um, and uh, so CDNs are, are quite a big deal. And Cloudflare is probably the best known CDN. You get that free with SiteGround, but also they give you, and I've completely ignored it. I just put my fingers in me and go, la, 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 I haven't even looked at this. But SiteGround actually give you what's called an optimizer plugin, um, which which compresses all your image files on your site. And you can create a, a way that they load so that they download faster. So I actually, before we left for Scotland, managed to get this across all my sites. So one of the things I am going to focus on is site speed. Uh, website speed now and I'm going to take this quite seriously having done this Google Analytics workshop so I just wanted to mention that to you because you know if you thought you were safe with having your SSL certificate and you thought you were safe being mobile friendly responsive website um, then the next thing really that's going to be quite a something you need to take on board in the long term is is your download speed of your website and if you do a, a Google search for uh, you know test download speed on Google or something like that you'll find a little uh, page where you can pop your URL in and it will tell you what the problem is. And most of the time when you look at the problem, the big problem it will identify is that you've got JPEGs, PNGs and GIFs, GIFs, whatever you want to call them, um, and not these modern file types. So uh, that particular issue I'm going to look at separately because it's complete news to me and I want to learn all about it, but it completely passed me by. So it just shows, you know, in the world of tech, if you blink, you miss it. I just want to finish this week. Um, an author who's going to have to remain anonymous, but has said I can share this so long as I, I don't mention his or her name, just to keep it completely mysterious, um, has got a prime reading uh, kind of offer. And you hear authors say they've got these from time to time. I've I've never had one. Um, but this author sent me kind of chapter and verse of this and said, have you ever had a prime reading uh, offer? And what do you know about them? I said, no, I haven't. And I don't know anything about them. And this author sent me the details and said, happy for you to share that. Um, obviously, you know, don't say who I am, but happy to share the details. So I just wanted to give you some, some information about this because this, again, never had one of these, don't know anything about them. So it's called Prime Reading and Amazon contact you. You don't contact them, they contact you for this. Um, so Prime Reading, I'm reading from the email that this author received. Prime Reading promotes authors and their books to Amazon's most engaged customers. So that's something that we'll be interested in, of course. They've got a limited number of spots and, and they just offer you this opportunity. Now, what happens is if you enroll in Prime Reading, they include it for approximately 90 days and they let you know when, when it starts. So you get a one-time bonus for being part of this. And the bonus, this is the interesting thing. I can tell you what the bonus is. The bonus is £200. They give you £200 for taking part in this over 90 days. Now, some authors um, get more than that. Um, but this author who sent me this information has done a little bit of digging around. £200 is pretty well what most people seem to get. So, so at this point, you say, okay, 200 quid over 90 days. Is there anything I lose from this? So, it's a one-time bonus um, that they they put it in this program, um, and they pay it after the promotion. But you've got to note that you don't receive royalties for borrows um, during prime reading activity. Okay, and so the the, the kind of the borrows don't go into your KDP reports. However, you do still get the sales and the royalties. So effectively, you've got to be, uh, presumably you've got to be in KDP, well, you, have, you have to be in KDP Select to do this. And effectively, I'm guessing that they, what triggers this, I, I don't know this, but I'm guessing that what triggers this is they look at your page reads in KDP Select. And basically, I guess from their point of view, they're taking a gamble that they know what your page reads are and that they can make more money uh, by paying you 200 quid, a flat fee, they think they can make more money from your page reads than you can. That, that's pretty well, you know, so if you, if you just leave it in, in KDP Select, you might make, uh, say 180 pounds in page reads. And what they're gambling on, because they're going to have to pay you 180 pounds, they're gambling on that they can make more money from that 
and make a profit from 200 pounds. Now they'll have looked at, I'm guessing that metrics trigger this, that they, they kind of know what your page reads are. Uh, they know that they can actually send that book to their most engaged customers. And so they know that they can probably get better results than you can. So the gamble they're taking is that they pay you 200 quid and they might make 400 quid, for instance, out of it. And so it's therefore um, a good deal for them. So that's how I'm guessing you get picked for something like this. That makes sense to me. So um, it, it's 200 quid on offer, which is, I think, you know, a lot of authors would say, yeah, I'll have that if, if they're in um, uh, KDP Select. The author who contacted me said, I'm looking at this as visibility. Uh, Google says the jury's out. Uh, a rank boost, you can get a rank boost. Um, uh, this author felt that sales wouldn't increase very much, but it's 200 quid in your pocket that you don't have to earn. You get more visibility. And of course, the Amazon ecosystem then might take notice of you. If that book with the right promotion does very well, Amazon might say, aha, uh-huh, this book is actually maybe worth doing something slightly more with. So I, I would be very excited about this and I would definitely, I would definitely do this and give it a try. Um, and just see what they could do over a 90 day period. Actually, I, you know, I was thinking it was a monthly period, 90 day period. Um, I don't know how, how easy is it? You see, it's very easy to earn way more than 200 pounds when you've got a book bub on, uh, on your page reads. You, you earn a lot of money. Half my book bubs, which is what about two and a half to three thousand pounds in the, in the busy months. That was, that was book read. So clearly it would make absolutely no sense if you had a book bub on during that time because you'd lose a lot of money. Uh, but I think my feeling is that for both, most, most average authors, just kind of doing, you know, toddling along, doing usual numbers of sales. That two hundred pound would be a pretty sweet offer. Uh, it would be well worth taking, I think. So um, let's just see how that goes. This author will no doubt get back to me and let me know how it went. Um, the other thing that the author said that another reason why they might have picked me is this author is also running Amazon ads, but also reports that their ad spend is a hundred pounds to 150 a month. I can't get rid of that money. Um, the ROI is 200 to 300%. And I think that's generally typical, um, of Amazon ads. Uh, but to, to, um, coin a phrase, I'll quote here. I'll be buggered if I can scale them. <laughs> I, I know that. You know, I know that feeling. That's everybody's frustration, isn't there? Um, I found it fairly easy to get a pretty good return, 200 to 300%. I just can't scale it. That's a frustration with it. And this author also says, if Amazon suddenly decide to spend my limit in one day, I'm in trouble, which is what I was saying to you at the beginning of this podcast diary, that, uh, you know, I'm putting huge budgets on them to get them to spend anything. If they spend that in a day, <laughs> I'm going bust. or I'm going to have to get another book bub very quickly. So anyhow, I thought that was very interesting. And thank you very much to that anonymous author for sharing that information because it's actually helped me to make a judgment about it if they offer me one. And they won't offer me one at the moment because I'm not in KDP Select. But I am going to do uh, the th- crime is going into KDP Select when I do my rapid releases. And uh, my uh, new sci-fi, military sci-fi that I'm writing will also go into KDP Select. So this is something that needs to be on my radar. So I'm very grateful for seeing all those details. And it helps me to make a judgment if I ever get offered one about whether I do one or not. So, you know, it's all, it's all good information, isn't it, to share this information. Um, I should just finish this week to let you know about the collaboration. I'm pretty sure the collaboration is going on. So I finished a full book. I sent it to my collaborators or whatever the word, collaborators, that's what is it, not collaborators. Um, and uh, they liked the book. And I kind of, I didn't want to, I wanted them to read the book because they might hate it. You know, uh, just, just because you know me doesn't mean you're going to like my book. And... Um, I just wanted to be sure that they liked the book. It's what they what they were after because I am writing in their universe. And if they read it and thought, yeah, thanks very much, Paul. This isn't very good or it's just not our style at all. Um, I, I kind of wanted to give them the uh, opportunity to say, uh, yeah, thanks, Paul. It's uh, nice knowing you, but we won't be doing this collaboration. Um, so I, I wanted to just keep my powder dry in that respect. But we are moving to contracts now, i.e. on both parties this is going to be a collaboration. We've, we've all, we've organized how the royalties will work, what the deal is, what the arrangement is. So, um, I think we're just really waiting to just get the final version of the, the contract done and to find a way of, of sending it over electronically to get it signed. But certainly these first three, uh, are going to go into that, uh, system. Um, but I did just want them to read the book really before we said anything. But the minute we get signed, as soon as it's signed, sealed and deliver, I'll start telling you who it is and what, you know, what the plan is and what the series is and all of this sort of stuff. Um, but it is, it is all still 
you know, happening. It is ticking along. And the other thing I didn't tell you about this week is um, I did tell you what my writing progress was, but I didn't tell you that I've also been editing the book this week. So my collaborators have gone through the book. I really wanted them to do this, you know, before we moved to contract. Uh, they've been through the book with a fine tooth comb. They did a first round of edits on, which was great because um, what they were getting from me, they got a slightly more polished version than, than is usually my first draft. So um, I had my... My, it was my first draft, my you know my vomit draft, as Stephen King calls it, uh, my stream of consciousness draft. And as I said to you, I write pretty tight drafts. Um, it, it, they're not all over the place. They're, they're usually fairly tight. Uh, and so I had, because I knew other people were going to be reading this straight away, I had gone through it. So I, I, I don't even usually reread it by the time my wife gets it. Uh, but I had reread it. And so I had put a lot of stuff right in it. Um, so what I did on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week is I went through the edits that my collaborators have gone through and they were really good edits actually very and uh, uh, most of them pertain to house style there were some sort of grammar and punctuations in there which again don't excite me at this stage because it's stream of consciousness that stuff's all over the place uh so um you know the, the punctuation is is I wouldn't expect to be anywhere near right at that stage so it was really handy having somebody do that so early in the, you know because it means I don't have to do it so it was great um, they put lots of kind of world notes on there. So there were changes and mainly sort of stylistic things that had to change for their world, which is absolutely fine. And I also went through my wife's read notes as well. So I'd done all of those. I did those on Monday and Tuesday. Um, I have a prologue to write for it, which was part of the feedback notes, which I'll probably do on Saturday. Um, and I had to change the chapters. A lot of it's just to fit in with the way they do things rather than the way I do things. Um, none of which was particularly painful. And actually, it was a really, really good edit, actually. I really appreciated it. This early in the day, it was really good to have th those kind of edit notes. Um, so what I'm doing now, because I've, that's been, that process has been a bit disrupted because we've been away in Scotland, I I went through... Um, it now has 30 chapters. So I, I had 10 chapters originally. They've asked me to split it out into shorter sections. So I've basically split out... Um, 10 chapters of three sections each into just 30 chapters. Um, so I did chapters one to six on Wednesday. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of next week, I'm going to do six chapters a night working through it. Um, and I, I'm essentially looking for sort of grammar, spelling, continuity, um, you know, uh, yeah, sort of plot, you know, plot points, uh, Americanisms I'm looking for particularly. Uh, there were some things that they mentioned. And the other thing I have to do, because it's military sci-fi, I, I gave some of the tech I use, I give fairly sort of flimsy names for. Um, and, and I need to sort of give some attention to what is that going to be called in the book? I just come up with a, you know, like a pair of scissors might be a, you know, a laser cutting tool or something. And, and I need to give it a fancier name. So in Star Trek, you might call it a laser gun, but actually within Star Trek mythology, it's called a phaser. They call it a phaser. Uh, but he's actually a, a laser in a book. I might call it a laser gun and then come up with a fancy name like a phaser for it later so i got to think about some of my tech and improving some of the names for things and also um sometimes i'm a little bit inconsistent with the way i name things so really that's what i'm doing at this stage and then um and then so that's next week and then i think i got another week on it is that right yeah when i'll be reading it through that'll be a sort of final read and then it will go to my collaborator's editor for a proper edit at that stage um, so, you know, it's been through a, a few times already by the time it goes to their editor. The other thing I'm working with is, and this is the bits I'm trying to get the hang of at the moment, is they've given me a whole world guide. I'm working to their world guide, their, their, their world Bible, which I have for my own books, of course, style guides, if you want. So again, I'm, I'm learning somebody else's style guide, but it's uh, an interesting process. As soon as we've got the contracts done, I'll let you know. I'll let you know who it is and what world I'm writing in. Uh, but we should just get the, you know, we get the contracts, the formal bits done before I talk to you about that. Okay, so that is it. Um, just one mention on Twitter. Uh, Tim Lewis um, is booking hotel rooms um, and he, he was looking for cheap hotel options. And you can see the tweet on this week's show notes. And um, I said to Tim, I think I might have stayed at a few in that very room. He's basically got a picture of a tree stump or a tree, an old mattress and a drain and and um that's his economy hotel room <laughs> i know the feeling there tim uh, i think i might have stayed in that very room at one point in london um so thank you very much for tweeting that that is it for this week's podcast diary thank you very much for listening i'll have another diary update for you next saturday just to let you know 
that writing days before you hear from me next. Now, um, I should mention this as well, actually. So uh, again, we've got a lot of interruptions at the moment to writing day. So obviously this week's been interrupted. I'm writing on Sunday um, and I'm also writing next Saturday, next Sunday. But it's half term this week. There's constant interruptions, aren't there? Uh, and distractions. But it's half term this week. So um, because my wife's home... I have left Thursday and Friday with pencil marks on it because I, I she's off that week. So I might be doing, uh, we, we, I've left those flexible so I can go out. I would like to write one of those days next week, Thursday or Friday. Um, I would like to write one of those days because if I don't, I'm writing four days the week after. I don't really like writing four days in a row. I'm trying to avoid it at the moment. So I'm hoping that I might get a f- 5,000 words done over the Thursday and Friday. Uh, but I, I, I haven't, because it's half time, I'm, I'm remaining flexible and I haven't actually allocated time for that. But I am definitely writing Saturday and Sunday next week. So I'll hit 20,000 words this coming Sunday. Um, I'll be up to 30,000 words by the end of next Sunday. And then by Saturday, the 3rd of March, I'll have my 50,000 words done. So that book will be done by the 3rd of March. Um, it's just we've had the funeral to do over two weeks and then half term comes and it's just the way it falls so I've just jiggled things around a little bit uh, but as I say I have with great detail gone through my planning and my diary and built buffer times in and if I continue um, I won't I don't think I write more than seven um, but my aim is if, if, if nothing sort of changes my aim is to write seven in this sci-fi series of this collaboration um, by the time we get to the summer holidays and then start to release them at that time as well. That's my kind of penciled in aim at the moment. But I will write the three to the end of March there for definites. Something may come up which changes the plan towards the end of March. But if that thing doesn't come up, my plan is to write then another three and then another one. And they, I know I can have all of those done by the end of the summer holiday uh, with buffer time built in there for things like Easter and stuff like that. So um, this is the advantage of being so ridiculous with your planning. I have my, plan, my, my weekly planning sheets here and they are done. I know this is almost embarrassing to tell you this. They actually go through to October, but I, I have to do that. I have to look at when uh, my wife's on holiday. She works part-time term time. I have to look at the weekend she's writing. I need to know when the kids are back for the summer holidays from uni and things like that. You know, I, I need to know when I'm going to be disrupted, basically. And it's going to be harder for me to lock myself in this study and get the writing done. And so, therefore, I, I work out the days that I'm going to be disrupted. And, then, and I work out the days where I'm, I've got to myself. And that's how I plan out the writing. And that's how I can say to you, because I know I've got buffer days in there and I've taken time out for Easter and everything, I can have those seven seven fifty thousand word books written by the time the summer holidays are on um you know bar disasters I, I always have to put that proviso particularly in the light of recent events anyhow sorry that was a little distraction i'm supposed to be finishing this podcast so thank you very much for listening i will have another diary update for you next saturday i hope you have a fantastic week of writing editing whatever it is you're doing i'll speak to you next saturday bye-bye for now thanks for listening to paul's podcast diary Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.